Hello, I'm Michael. Hello, I'm Linda. And we're both art historians fascinated with the story of Italy. And what we've been doing over the last six episodes of the Grand Tour is bringing you in your mind's eye across the Alps into the Italian peninsula, visiting cities such as Turin. We've been to Venice and now we're going to do a little bit more about Venice. So how do people get around Venice in the past or even today? The most easily recognised is the gondola, the flat bottom boat with no rudder. The oar is positioned at the back of the boat and the side to enable the gondolier to steer and to navigate the shallow waters at the same time. The water is only maybe four feet at most in Venice. So today the cost of a modern gondola would be about €40,000. The gondola takes us to the lagoon and to the many Venetian islands from Santa Maria Maggiore onto Torcello, and this leads us along the venturous road of Venice and its curious canals. Wonderful. What a lovely idea today, Michael. So thank you. And indeed, just thinking of Venice itself, canals do immediately come to mind, don't they? It's a kind of watery roadway through the city. And there is no other city quite like it. I mean, we do, we can maybe suggest Amsterdam. We could think of Bruges, Brugge. Even the Etruscans had a canalised city close to Venice called Spina. But in fact, it's Venice itself holds true as this extraordinary phenomenon of a city with watery roadways. Yes, the canals are curious. They are used as roadways or thoroughfares. But in fact, they were not really constructed as such. They happened really by accident. Although the canals look as if they were dug out, they're in fact natural waterways because Venice is in fact made up from about 120 tiny little islands on which the buildings were constructed. So that's why it seems as if the canals were laid out on purpose, like uh, City Grid, New York or whatever. But in reality, they just developed that way over the centuries. So in a kind of, it's a very organic feel to it, doesn't it? And do we have any idea how many canals there are? There's around 150 canals, if you don't include the larger expanses of sea which surrounds Venice itself. And of course, we mentioned this in the Previously, we mentioned reference to, or we made reference to the Barbaro map, which is where you really clearly can see all these islands and, of course, that the great expanse of the lagoon. But the canals themselves are rather like gaps, aren't they, between the buildings or indeed clusters or, or groups or uh, sets of buildings. Exactly. As the town grew into a city, people added pavements or sidewalks although several of the buildings opened directly onto the waterway and the only way out was to descend a set of shallow steps and board a boat or a gondola. And therefore out hence to these tiny islands. So westward ho, and these today again more like little their own little regions linked in some cases by bridges and yes in fact, we're being quite statistical today, there are about 300 bridges linking these islands uh, together. And several of these are larger, or indeed, the, maybe not as notable, the smaller footbridges, which people cross in a few steps. And then there are certainly one or two roadways, The I'm trying to think what it's called, the Via Nova, which brings you over towards the uh, Arsenale. But essentially, you're walking on water, which makes Venice Unique. And that's something which is found in no other city. Perhaps we might say Bruges or Amsterdam, 
but effectively in Italy there's only one Venice. That's right. But and Venice, as as we've also often heard that adage that uh, it's the Amsterdam is the Venice of the North, but actually Venice is really unique. It's also very quiet, isn't it? There's it's not exactly you know there's not so much din and dust that you find in other Italian cities. You really it's that sort of gentle hum of a diesel engine, perhaps bringing the groceries, delivering you know taking the waste in and out of the city, but essentially it's very environmentally friendly as we often think today. I would to a degree that's true, but the Venetians have a major problem with drains and sewage. Now I don't to offend your delicate senses, but many of the houses and hotels still empty their refuse into the canals, believe it or not. I, I'm sure that's against a set of European laws and regulations, but uh, despite all those bylaws which prohibit that happening it does happen every day and I guess every night Mm, and well let's just gloss over that image and in fact so the three main canals of Venice the principal one is the Grand Canale which winds its way from east to west and remember that extraordinary Barbaro map it's the largest one it literally runs through not in a straight line it's like an inverted S shape then there's the Canareggio Canal which links the lagoon with the Grand Canale Um, and then the third is really not quite a canal it's very wide it opens out into the lagoon. It's called the Judeca. It separates the main part of the city from a long district called the Judeca. And if you recall our fifth series, that was where Il Redentore is based, the great church of the Redeemer. In fact, I wanted to say this, Michael, that feast day is coming up very soon about the for the Redentore. But in fact, the Judeca, it's, it, that area, it's wide, large boats, and indeed ships move up and down quite easily along it. That's right. So Venice is split up into uh, Sestieri. There's Canareggio, San Paolo, Castello, San Marco, Dost- uh, Dorsturo, Santa Croce and La Giudecca. And there's one thing I notice about Venice. In winter, it's absolutely freezing. I'll never forget being there a few years ago. I popped into Venice for two or three days. I think it might be around Carnival. And I went to the Academia, which I'm sure we should talk about at some occasion, maybe on, not on this visit, but on another visit when we're visiting the Hidden Museums of Europe, which is another series. You've got to keep tuned in to this to find out about it. But all I remember is the cold travelling up through my shoes, in through my legs, to my knees. And I was absolutely frozen, never been as so cold in my life. Anyway, I made a note to bring warmer clothes the next time. But in summer then, you've, of course, the opposite problem because it's absolutely baked. I remember being in Venice once once in July, which was a very, very bad idea. And by the way, I'd say people often ask me, when should you go and visit Italy? And I think really just go April, May, September, October. The algae later is ghastly and uh, it's something that you really want to avoid. But I think something very nice happened during our recent pause of our lockdown where in fact these canals seem to clean and clear themselves out they had a moment apparently yes um they had a moment in time where they uh yes yeah, so that that this these kind of heavy uh, in you know layers of algae and so on seem to have been sort of flushed away so venice de nouveau venice new the new fresh venice i think is where we should all be heading soon but essentially so in fact, I just wanted to also think about those sestieri because variously each of the six have their own colours, they have their own heraldry, each would have their own different kind of outfits and costumes to wear to those various processions and those various festivals and indeed producing different characters for the carnival. 
And there was a sense of competition, wasn't there? There was a sense of kind of uh, the neighbours being friendly, but also uh, if you think of uh, Siena, for example, where they'll go, the 17 contradas, the 17 regions go absolutely mad for the horse races which take place in July and in August. But Venice already provides a certain amount of discomfort, most especially in the high season in which tens of thousands descend on the city. Our grand tourists approached the city by horseback, of course, in the 17th, 18th and 19th century, or else by stagecoach, and then transferred to small boats or barges to enter the city. Now, today, tourists coming from mainland Italy arrive at the train station at the Piazzale di Roma, and even those driving have to leave their cars in a large, very ugly, multi-storey car park. My favourite entrance is along the Grand Canal, of course, because that... That's, that's the most impressive one. I love the Ponte della Costituzione, which was constructed by the engineer Calatrava. It was only the fourth bridge ever built on the Grand Canale, but I would say it was the totally wrong city to build it in. I love his stuff. We have a bridge in Dublin. I've seen other ones, but... Uh, Linda, what's your favourite bridge? Yeah, well, actually, I would have to immediately, I think, of the Rialto. Um, it's it's right, it links both, of, obviously, the great two great sides. It brings you straight into the academia, brings you to the marketplace. And it was built, actually, in 1181. So it's it's fantastically medieval as a pontoon bridge. And originally, that it was side by side, boats tied together with a kind of metalled walkway on top. But later, um, it's become a stone bridge, that wonderful kind of Eastrian sandstone. And equally, it has covered these extraordinary and wonderfully kind of idealised this this kind of shopping mall idea. When you cross over it, you climb up the steps, there's these lovely little kind of units or different shops. And it's something rather like the Ponte Vecchio. So these are very, again, unique within within Italy very much. And their, their survival, this one at, in Firenze, but also this in Venice is yeah, something to behold and very spectacular t- sight to see. Now, if you're only visiting Venice for a day, and indeed that's all that cruisers can do or many day trippers, if you, you're really obliged to stick to the tourist route. And that means seeing the Grand Canal and probably going to the Doge's Palace and San Marco. At a push, you could do the Academia, the, the gallery art gallery that I mentioned but for a day trip that's about it and by the way there's a plan afoot to ban cruisers from Venice did you know that in order to preserve the city from being swamped by tourists indeed and I think there's again these are these are the variously many significant I suppose issues that have arisen recent more recently with so many I think Venice is one of the most endangered cities because it's so visited and there's so many people with it and bombs Overvisited, uh, indeed, and essentially, yes, the the input from these very large uh, cruise ships is it's very taxing on the city. So it's something that really, yeah, it might it might be consideration. And surely, in this recent lockdown, I think they were so pleased that that this was something that you know wasn't inundating the city every day with large numbers of, of people. Of course, we have to remember we are all tourists. So, you know, we shouldn't be kind of... And guests on the planet Earth. So if you only have a few days in Venice, then let's face it, there's really not much point to going to Venice if you can't stay for at least a night or two. Then there is one place that I'd really strongly advise 
and that's going to the island of Torcello. Um, sure, and it's it's certainly a, a possible to do it as a day ex- excursion. It's about 50 minutes by by the kind of Vaporetto right across or one of the larger kind of bus bus boats across. And it's not a very large island, is it, Michael? I mean, I think... No, it's it's. Uh, I don't know exactly how big it is, but as you say, it takes under an hour to get the Vaporetto across. And then um, back in the day, it was even more important than Venice itself, strangely enough, Torticello, because in the 10th century, there were around 20,000 inhabitants. Can you imagine? Now, I, I wish I could remember how big the island is, but any time I've been there, I can walk across it in 10 minutes at maximum. The reason it was abandoned afterwards was because uh, most of the inhabitants fled in order to avoid malaria and other plagues. And today there are only, today, actually, believe it or not, there's only a dozen citizens living on the island. Well, in, in, in no matter um, what a what a location, I mean, it's absolutely magnificent to behold, and yet on the other hand, you could imagine feeling rather isolated being out on a small little island in a very large. Uh, like well, yes, but that's the charm of the place. It's it's quite rural. Even today, when you go to it, you can almost step back into the medieval period. And that's why I say, really, if you're going to Venice, throw that in as well. Give yourself a little, a couple of hours extra. The houses are only two stories tall, so they're quite different from the houses and the palazzi, which are much more impressive on the, uh, or in in the main part of Venice itself. Most uh, date from the 18th and 19th centuries, so they're the medieval houses, if you like, have been knocked down and replaced. But the real treasures are the Cathedral of the Assumption and the Church of Santa Fosca. And they go back to the 7th century, but then, of course, were expanded in the 9th century. What 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 treasures to behold, in, in fact? Uh, it, it's, I suppose it's the kind of charm of the place. And, and the Cathedral of the Assumption, the Church of the Chiesa of Santa Fosca, they date all the way back, but they were expanded over time. And interestingly also... Um, there's quite an uh, an interesting feel to uh, Santa Fosca and indeed the, the Cathedrale. There's, there's a sense of Italo-Byzantine influence, which came in via, you know, via, um, yeah, from, from Istanbul or Constantinople. And, and there is an extraordinary, rather wonderful image of, of Mary, of the Virgin, uh, in the apse over the dome in the Cathedral. And my favourite is perhaps the last judgment and resurrection scene on the back wall. So when you're leaving, it's on the interior back wall. But when you're going out of the church to go out the main exit door, you look up and you've got this absolutely phenomenal mosaic with Christ at the centre, the judge, and then the good people being pulled up for their reward in heaven by the angels who are grabbing them by the scruff of their necks. And then the demons who are grabbing the people who are bold and murderers and all sorts of baddies they're being pulled down into heaven and I wonder did Michelangelo do you know if Michelangelo ever went to Venice because if he did it would be really interesting to know if he went to Torcello let's say and if that might have given him an idea for his great 1540s um, fresco 
in the Sistine Chapel, the Last Judgment. Well, in fact, I was, I'm was i still busy thinking about uh, the, the Virgin herself, Hojeteria. She's holding, uh, or Theotokos, the mother of, of, of God, the mother of, Christ, of the Christ child. And she's, it's really rather wonderful. It's, again, as you say, worth considering either whether Michelangelo was there, but for any, any of these illustrious visitors that you're standing there in front of this extraordinary site, because she stands firm above in this semi, semi-dome and her very kind of deep blue tunic stands out against this glass, wonderful gold glass background. And she, she, there's also an inscription. So these Italo-Byzantine uh, mosaicists were very keen to, you know, add and to talk and to, 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 to make an invocation to the Virgin. And then a, she stands atop a row of, you know, a choir of various saints. So it comes straight from the, I suppose, the can we call it the stable or the the atelier, the the workmen, the craftsmen having come from Constantinople. And, you know, equally there's there's reference to their work in San Marco and you see it here again. And of course, later, subsequently, their work, Manship, you find it further afield in Ravenna, in Parenzo, in Porec and, and, and other places further afield down the Istrian coast. Yes, so if you do make it to Cello, it's only half an hour on a motor bus to the famous island of Murano, and that's famous for its glass. But to be quite honest, we've been chatting away for 20 minutes, and I think people are probably tired listening to us. So join us on our next visit in two weeks' time. Tune in. You'll find us on Spotify. You'll find us on Apple. You'll find us on any of your podcast platforms which you enjoy and uh, come back and join us for the grand tour of Italy.